Hi everyone, this is Steve Hargadon. Welcome to the Future of Education. It is Thursday, July 15th, and our special guest tonight is Graham Glass. Welcome, Graham. Uh, thanks a lot, Steve. I hope everyone can hear me fine. I've got one of these uh, headset mics on. You're coming through great. Super. Hey, so where are you coming in from? Uh, I'm actually sitting in my office in beautiful San Francisco. Okay, well, that's a good place to be tonight. I'm in Orlando where it's hot and thunderstormy. Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate and Learn Central. It's the social network for educators I work for. LearnCentral.org. It's free and you are welcome to come join. We have announced our Global Education Conference, November 15th through 19th, 2010 online, all free, multiple time zones, multiple languages, multiple tracks. Should be lots of fun. I hope you're hearing me now. Coming up on the Future of Education next week, uh, James Bach on the Secrets of a Buccaneer Scholar. Um, this is very interesting. This is the son of um, the guy who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull for the story of his own education and, um, and becoming kind of an independent student and Lawrence Peters on global education. Lots of other fun stuff coming up. We hope you'll join us. If you've missed a session like last night's with Nero Kosla on CK12, you are welcome to listen to those recordings or watch them in full and eliminate sessions at all at thefutureofeducation.com as well. If this is your first time, in Illuminate, we hope that you will participate. You can do so in a variety of ways, the first of which is just to put information in the chat. I know that's a complicated slide. You don't need to understand all that. But if you look at the bottom of the participant window, you'll see some emoticons that will let you smile or clap. The hand with the green up arrow lets you actually raise your hand if you'd like to take the microphone later. And if you think you'd like to do that, do go up and run the Tools Audio, Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is working. I also recommend that all of you go up to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. It makes it a little bit easier to see the chat that's going on. And Zorg, I'm sure you're having audio problems. Uh, let me get through this introduction, then I'll try and see if I can help you. OK, this is your first chance to be participative. And you'll see to the left of the map a laser pointer, a wand with a red star at the end. Go ahead and click on that and click on the map to let us know where you're listening from. And you can also shout out in the chat, maybe where you are, what time it is, and what the weather's like. And I'm going to send a little message here to Zorge. Uh, you might want to log out and log back in again. That's all I can think of at this immediate moment there. OK, so it looks like a little bit of an international crowd, um, some South America, Canada. It looks like Japan. So we're sure glad to have you with us tonight. So Graham, uh, I, in preparation for tonight, I watched the, um, the TEDx video that you did. And I'm anxious for you to kind of tell a little bit of that story, if you're willing. 
maybe give us some of your background and what's brought you to this point as a passion in your life. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Steve. And uh, before I get going, I'd just like to personally thank you for doing such a fantastic job with this Illuminate series. Um, I've actually listened to quite a few of your uh, interviews, uh, and I found your questions to be particularly good. So I've, I've really been looking forward to this. Can anyone hear me? <laughs> You're coming through loud and clear. OK, great. So um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, I gave a presentation in Manila in the Philippines for one of the uh, TEDx events. Uh, and I gave the presentation on what I think is the future of education. And even though I'm doing quite a lot of work right now in the kind of the hosted cloud-based learning space, uh, I have quite a few ideas about where I think things are going in, in the long term. Uh, so ideally today, uh, maybe we could spend 20 minutes at some point talking about what I'm currently doing with the, the .org site, uh, but also leave plenty of time to talk about some of the, the future things like adventure gaming and learning circles. So that, that would be my, uh, my preference. Well, I'm going to let you drive the discussion at the start. I think it would be helpful to kind of hear a little bit about your background, because EDU 2.0 is unique in some ways, and, and your path to getting there is, is valuable. And then you're certainly welcome to go through your slides at that point, um, and or we can do a little bit of a tour of the site. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's great. So a little bit about my background. Um, so I grew up in the UK, and I went to a really fantastic high school there. And I enjoyed school so much that I remember thinking, I'd really love to be a teacher. And I have a very strong memory of being in my math class sitting, thinking, what a fantastic life these teachers have, you know? Um, so it always kind of stuck in the back of my mind that education is something that I would like to get into. Uh, but academically, my forte was really uh, computer science. So I got my undergrad in computer science in the UK. Then I came to America and got my graduate degree in Texas, in, in Dallas. Um, and while I was working on my research into artificial intelligence, somebody said, hey, Graham, would you like to, to teach at the university, teach computer science? And uh, it kind of triggered an old memory of mine, I guess, from my high school days. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to. But I had literally had zero training in, in teaching. I hadn't got any credentials. I'd never actually tried it before. But the university was willing to just let me give it a shot. And so I found out that I was kind of a natural. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I adopted what people would now call project-based learning. So all of my classes were based on building things, which the students really liked. And so once again, I remember thinking, wow, I, I love education. One of these days, I want to get into it. And so after getting my green card, kind of a tortuous process, uh, I started a training company. And I made some pretty good money taking what I learned from teaching at college and teaching in industry. So I did that for a few years. Then I started a much larger training and consulting company. Uh, we had about 300 people uh, at, its, at its peak doing a lot of training. Uh, but then I remember thinking, I really want to get into products because my background was software technology. So I took a detour, and for the next 10 years, basically, uh, I built uh, some pretty successful software technology companies doing web services, grid computing, and cloud computing. Uh, I was very lucky that my last company was, was acquired in 2005. So that put a pretty good amount of money into my bank account. And then I thought, you know, now I can actually pursue a dream 
without necessarily having to you know, raise money from venture capitalists. And I can basically take things in my own direction. And so the first fruits of my labor are essentially these uh, EDU2O sites. So, so that's a little bit about my background. But the only reason I really got into education, frankly, is to try and you know, significantly change it. So, uh, so like I say, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about some of the future directions as well as uh, what's going on so far. Over to you, Steve. Thanks, Grant. So I'm, I'm in a very unique and ironic position tonight because I'm in Orlando, Florida, and having worked for Illuminate for the last 18 months, they've just been acquired by Blackboard. Now, I still work for Illuminate, but I think this is a funny moment in time, having scheduled with you to talk about your, you know, um, EDU 2.0. So help us to understand, uh, EDU 2.0 is a web-hosted LMS, and is it a nonprofit? Uh, it's a it's a dot org. Um, that doesn't imply that it's nonprofit. Um, I'll tell you my overall theory just about these education companies. Um, and I'm very aware of the fact you've, you work for Blackboard. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. I think healthy competition is good for everyone. Um, so any time that you do any kind of project, whether you know, you work, you're doing work for Moodle or Blackboard or whatever, you want whatever you're doing to be sustainable and successful. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in innovation. Um, and innovation is not free. And there's different ways that you can innovate. You know, you can rely on uh, the generosity of open source code people, or you can raise investor money, um, or you can fund it out of your own pocket. There's, there's lots of different ways. And each of them has its own pros and cons. Um, for example, if you raise money from a VC company, um, then you have to generate significant profits. Uh, and a lot of times, that means that you have to charge too much for your product, at least you know, that's my opinion. So. So EDU, my edu 2 companies, I actually have three of them, but we're going to focus on the school one today. Um, they're incorporated as limited liability companies, uh, not as nonprofits. Um, and we use a freemium version, which means that we provide a fantastic offering completely for free with no hidden costs, no advertising. And then we have a premium version. Uh, and they're usually very inexpensive. We're talking about between $5 a month and you know, $30 a month. Um, to provide kind of like all the, the power features that a, a school with a, a budget might want. Um, so you know, theoretically, it's profitable. <laughs> but uh, it's not, the goal of the edu to for school is not to you know, do an IP or anything like that. The, I have edu to for business, which is actually already profitable, uh, which is targeting for enterprises. But the edu to school is more of a philanthropic venture uh, from my perspective. Well, I think that puts you in, a, in an interesting and unique position. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I looked at the service, um, you know, at some length today and was impressed with the feature set and the qualities. What does EDU 2.0 solve? What problem do you think it solves that makes it important? Um, so I guess the problems that it solves will change over time. I can tell you what it solves right now, and then I'll tell you what I think it's going to solve going forward. So. You know, right now, a lot of people are uh, using the internet for lots of different things. And uh, especially for schools, there's a lot to be gained by moving 
um, significant portions of your capabilities onto the internet. Um, you know, not just putting up your PowerPoint presentations and Microsoft Word docs. Those are kind of trivial, but more in terms of networking your students, doing collaborative projects, allowing access from mobile devices, um, a whole slew of things. So there's the, the functionality perspective. And so a typical user of my site will be, I'll give you an, ex um, I'll give you an example, actually. Let me, I'm going to take control of the slides things here uh, down to this one. OK, so hopefully you guys can all see a picture of this website from Columbia. Can you, can you see that? OK, great. Um, so a typical example, like last week, uh, there's a cooperative school down in Columbia. My guess is uh, they, they have very little money for IT. They're not going to you know, set up their own computer systems and IT admins, et cetera. But they wanted to build an ed uh, online education portal. So they used ETU 2.0 to create this beautiful site. I mean, I was actually extremely impressed by their artwork. Um, this particular slide is kind of blurry, but it's actually quite crisp in real life. And then they enrolled 1,500 students in a couple of days. Uh, and they're already building out, I think, like 40 or 50 online classes. So all the students have collaboration, forums, debates, chats, or, you know, automatic grading, quizzes, question banks, the works. But because it's, it's cloud-based, the cool part is, is that they literally just need to have a browser in order to be able to use it. Um, and we also have support for mobile devices already. So you can actually access your lessons and everything else straight from your, from your mobile phone. So I'd say in a nutshell, the main problem that we're solving at this moment in time is a school that has a limited budget. They really want to create a kind of a state-of-the-art online school, and so they can use EDU 2.0 to do that. Um, but EDU 2.0 for me, at least the school version, is it's almost like a way for me to, to demonstrate what is, cap what is possible. So uh, later on in this interview, I'm going to talk about a couple of the features that we're going to be adding. Um, it's almost like a, not exactly a sandbox. There's a, there's a term, not playpen, but it's a way for me to be able to introduce really cool ideas into an audience of hundreds of thousands of teachers and students. So can you give us a, a, an idea of the average size of the school that's using the service? Yeah, right now, my, my guess is the average size school is probably between three to 500 uh, students. Um, and you know, I, I looked up the statistics. So for example, today, we had 500 new members sign up and 50 schools register. Um, and right now, it's actually pretty slow because it's in um, during the school vacation. When school starts, it's typically about 100 schools a day and between one and 2,000 members a day joining up. I think the largest university, because we have universities using it as well as uh, high schools, largest university, I think, is about 4,000 students. But we have it all the way down to you know, an individual teacher teaching 20 students. Uh, so it's, it's kind of all over the map, but I think three to 400 is pretty decent. Well, one, one funny thing, by the way, I'm going to flip to this slide. Uh, I, I launched EDU 2.0 for school in 2006. And it had really tiny features there. I mean, looking back, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, almost embarrassing. But I thought it was good then. Um, in the first year, uh, we had a total of 1,000 members. And I thought 1,000 was like really great. Uh, and now I actually kind of get upset if we don't get between 500 and 1,000 a day. 
So the nice thing is that as time has gone by, uh, you get you know it's kind of accelerating. Another interesting thing, uh, this is just historical, and that is the original version was only in English. And I wasn't really intending to add language support for like three or four years. And then after a couple of months, I got invited to present at EduCared, which is the largest Spanish um, event, education event. It's like opened by, you know, the king of Spain or something, which is pretty impressive. So anyway, I decided, you know, I really need to have this thing in Spanish. And so I made it so it was multilingual, where volunteers could basically translate the site. It's, it's called, you know, crowdsource translation. So now it's available in uh, 12 different languages. Uh, we just added Hungarian and Swedish. And it's all done by volunteers, which is really fantastic. So I just put four country maps here. This is all live on the site, so anyone can see you know, the schools in their particular country. But I've got the US, I've got uh, Mexico, Spain, and Puerto Rico as just a kind of an example of um, some of the adoption that's going on. So have you got a sense of what kind of schools are gravitating toward EDU 2.0 as a solution? Is it private schools, public, charter, a good mix? Uh, it's a total mix, actually, Steve. Um, I can't really see any particular trend. I think, I think a lot of it, frankly, is more driven by people finding out about it, uh, because everything is word of mouth. Uh, you know, I, I look at it like I'd rather spend the money that I might use for marketing making the product better so that people can just tell their friends and neighbors and tweet about it and blog about it. Um, so I'd, I'd say the, the biggest factor is, you know, number one is hearing about it. I'd say that, you know, another big factor, um, you know, I don't consider edu to be a, an American product or an English-focused product. Right from the get-go, uh, I started seeing really good adoption from tons of countries. And like I have a particularly sweet spot for, soft spot for Philippines because they were one of the first countries that kind of embraced it and invited me to present. Um, another interesting little historical thing is I started getting lots of messages in the forums in you know, Hungarian and Spanish, et cetera, and I found myself copying and pasting to Google Translate all the time. So to save, save everyone a bunch of time, our system does actually automatic bidirectional multilingual translation, which is built into the core messaging infrastructure. So anyone who sends a message to anyone in EDU 2.0, it's automatically translated into their native language. And I think that's really helped the international adoption of our system. So here I am at Blackboard World, you know, a very large company. I don't work for Blackboard yet, but so I think I have some latitude. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nobody's, nobody's even said the phrase EDU 2.0. Uh, here, there, you know, clearly you're not on that radar, uh, and it sounds like maybe you don't necessarily need or want to be at this time. But if you were to project out ten years, what kind of position in the marketplace would you like? Yeah, that, that's actually a, a good question. <laughs> Frankly, I normally think about three years ahead, Max, because so much can change. Um, so I'd say, you know, number one, it doesn't surprise me because um, I think that the people who tend to pick our products are almost completely different. Um, and I actually wouldn't expect to see you know, hardly any overlap for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I'd say, if, any, if anything, the, pe the schools that use us are normally choosing between us and, say, Moodle. Um, you know, extremely budget conscious, 
you know, almost no disposable budget, and they want something that you know gets the job done. Um, however, I think in terms of where I look at things, when I talk about the think the projects that uh, I'm about to start on, uh, some of them are actually already going. I really think in a few years' time, I'd like EDU2O to be known for that stuff a lot more than what we're doing right now. Um, it's not like the stuff we're doing right now is going to go away. In fact, it's actually improving on an almost weekly basis. Um, and in fact, I'm going to give a sneak peek of one of the features we're releasing next week to give you an idea. But I don't really think that LMSs in the traditional sense are really the future of education. I think they're a really good stepping stone. Uh, and I'm using EDU2O to hopefully you know, accelerate the, the direction of education. But if I wanted to be known for anything, I think it's probably the things I'm going to be working on um, over the next few years. So Blackboard acquires Illuminate and Wimba and, and maps out a strategy seeing sort of the convergence of LMS, social networking, and synchronous kind of real time like we're in right now. Do you think that's a smart move by them? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, once, once again, I'm not, I'm not saying what I'm saying because you're about to work for Blackboard. So I would have said what I'm saying regardless. And, and like I say, I think that competition, when it's you know, healthy, good, fair competition, is fantastic. So I, I, love, um, I love there being lots of people. But you know, the social networking stuff we're releasing next week in ED2O, and I'll give you a sneak peek. And then the whole um, you know, live web conferencing recording and stuff, that's scheduled for, I think, September or October for EDU2O. So it's, it's totally in line with where I think things are going. And that's one of the reasons that we're adding it as well. So uh, I think it makes total sense for them. OK, so with the understanding that you're not necessarily um, you know, seeing the LMS as your end goal, and, and, I'm, and it's going to be fun to kind of talk about you know, what kinds of innovative things you can do, and maybe you're in the disruptive innovation fringe, um, uh, which, is, which is an exciting place to be. Uh, are there easy comparisons that you can make with Moodle and Blackboard and Sakai where you could say, OK, you know, certainly these are institutions that are looking to save money, and they're not necessarily ones that have to host this on their own platform. But are there feature set differences that distinguish uh, EDU 2.0 from sort of the traditional learning management systems? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, and it's not just features, it's price as well, which is important. But I'll just run, th run through a few things. So the first thing, especially because of my background in, in technology, uh, I, I definitely believe that the future of all this stuff is in the cloud. Uh, and it's not just education, it's everything. You know, I use Google Docs for collaborative stuff. I use Gmail. I use Google for doing searching. It's like I, I use very little software now that's not cloud hosted. And some of the advantages of, of cloud hosting are as follows. Number one, it's extremely cost efficient to host things in the cloud, which means that you can offer your product for a, a significantly lower price. Number two, you can fix bugs instantly. So if somebody reports a bug, you don't have to wait for a three-month, six-month Moodle patch. Um, we'll generally fix it in the next day. You log on, and it's already fixed. Um, it allows us to release features on an almost daily basis, which is you know, really fantastic. As an in from an engineering perspective, to be able to do that is very um, fulfilling. Uh, and you have built-in networking. So I'll give you one feature uh, difference. Um, so it's actually quite common 
for let's take the state of Vermont, where you have about six or ten schools uh, all using our stuff. Uh, but obviously, schools would like to form into school districts where they can share materials through a, a common library. They want to be able to collaborate, set up joint projects, and the rest of it. And because our stuff is in the cloud, you can just click a button and say, create a district. And all the schools can then just click a button and join a district. And suddenly, your library, and we have a special library area, shows all the materials throughout your entire district. Uh, now, we've got people who are really enthusiastic about doing this at, on a country scale. And I think I mentioned we actually have a, a, a home page for every country in edu2o. So us.edu2o.org is the country page for America. Um, and uh, late, probably in about a month's time, there's going to be a US library and US collaborative features. So any school in the entire US can start networking. So when you're actually kind of born in the cloud, you just think about networking and sharing differently than if you were looking at it from a traditional kind of Moodle perspective, which is more you know, individual computers hosting their own local stuff. And you have to go through a lot of machinations to be able to connect Moodle, Moodle systems together. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it's you know, probably an accurate depiction of Moodle's roots. You know, being open source, you know, and oftentimes loaded locally. You know, I'm I'm intrigued because I think, you know, in many ways, what Blackboard has to do is they 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 have to be prepared for really huge installations. So they have these enormous, you know, computer centers and redundant systems, and and to some degree they probably trade. Uh, the speed of innovation and functionality with the need for stability. You know, uh, you know. Uh, I'm wondering how comfortable you would even be with this idea that it, if you were big enough, you would have to be running these huge server farms. Uh, I'll give you like so. Right now, we have almost 200,000 users on edu 2 um, and we get about between 500 and 1,000 a day. And one of the reasons that um, we're hosted in the cloud as we use the Amazon infrastructure. So Amazon is basically providing a lot of the key infrastructure. So I'll give you a few ideas. Like every time anyone uploads a document or records a video or whatever, we store it in the Amazon S3 system, which is their highly distributed fault tolerant uh, storage system. So if somebody uploads a video, thanks to Amazon, it automatically gets replicated like five times in 3G three different geographic regions. Uh, right now, we have about 1 million documents stored in Amazon S3. And our total monthly bill is $20, Okay, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, similarly, you know, as far as databases and stuff, Amazon actually provides you with um, automatic, fault-tolerant, failover, geographically distributed database stuff, also for a pretty low price. So, you know, I was pretty lucky in that there's no way I could have done this five years ago. Absolutely no way. Just the, the cost of running this thing would be prohibitive. But um, the timing's been pretty fortunate. So we're kind of riding the, the cloud infrastructure wave, um, and, uh, which allows us to provide you know, very scalable, fault-tolerant infrastructure uh, for, you know, I could say, almost 200,000 members right now for uh, a small amount. Um, I think the other thing worth noting is that in the last couple of years, I think EDU2O has had 99.999% uptime. So I think there's been a few hours now and again, and any members <laughs> on this chat room will probably remember them vividly, because I do. 
But uh, overall, we've found the Amazon infrastructure to be extremely uh, tolerant. So that this is really interesting to me, and of, and of course it has you know it's timely as well. But I, you know I'm thinking that in order to serve a large university, you're you're pretty much going to have to have sales staff, technical staff, and, and kind of an infrastructure. And and I'm guessing that may not further your long-term goals because you can get a lot of business and a lot of activity without necessarily having to go there. And you probably want to do some other things. Um, one of the things I noticed was that you've built collaborative tools into the system. And I'm wondering uh, to what degree you're finding them getting used and, and how much the user feedback is, is directing your development in that area. Yeah, that's actually a great question. Uh, firstly, just to address your university thing, uh, you're absolutely right, Steve. I think that especially the very large universities, they typically want a, a one-stop shop with a vendor like Blackboard that provides everything. You know, there's a huge number of systems in a very large university. Uh, you know, and um, and it's it's unlikely that we're going to personally integrate that stuff. One of the things we are doing is we're releasing an open API in a couple of months that will allow external third parties to integrate into our system and extend it. So I guess I look at it like if somebody loves our stuff and they want to integrate it with product XYZ. We're going to provide them APIs for doing that, but um, I don't have any plans whatsoever to hire salespeople and go after large university accounts, which many times are, you know, they're quite political, and universities want you to be a, a public company, and there's all the other stuff that goes with it. So, so my guess basically is that I, I very much doubt that Edu2O and Blackboard are going to uh, are going to be bumping into uh, into each other. As far as the um, the collaborative stuff goes. Uh, there's a couple of things. Um, one of the things I, I have on the current display, by the way, which we're releasing next week, is the kind of the Facebookization of Edu2O. Um, you know, I, I'm addicted to Facebook, and I love the fact that I can get these real-time feeds from all my friends and events and everything else. And so it obviously makes total sense for an, an LMS to have these kinds of features. Um, so what you can see here is a is basically a, a feed from a class that shows you your exams and chat and everything else. And I think, I think having the Facebook-like feeds is going to really generate a lot more interaction between students and teachers in, in a class or in a school than the current version. Um, right now, um, people seem to be using the forums and the debates and the chats a lot. Um, you know, because we can track all that stuff, I'd say probably probably 30 to 40% of the traffic on our site is actually message and uh, collaboration traffic versus simply uh, viewing lessons. So I, I'm definitely hearing a lot of buzzwords lately from a lot of large organizations who are looking to implement social into their learning systems. But one of the things that's intriguing to me is the degree to which if you look at Web 2.0 companies, they largely get transformed, their products get transformed by the users and by the use. So are you learning anything from your users that's reshaping your sense of what kind of social works for them? Yeah, definitely. And in fact, one of the things which is really actually pretty good fun about EDU2O is it, it feels kind of like a, a, a really collaborative family style <laughs> effort. I'm not sure how good that is because sometimes you know people can um, 
occasionally get too demanding, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but frankly, we discuss stuff all the time. Uh, so a typical, you know, um, like let's just take learning circles, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Came up with this idea um, a while back, but I decided now is the time to actually do it. So I, I just hand sketch out a few diagrams. I throw it up on the website. Our forum has maybe 500 to 1,000 members who listen in. Uh, there's typically, you know, 100, 200 messages a day on our forum, so it's quite busy. And I just say, hey, everyone, what do you think about this idea? And the next morning I wake up and there's like 15 great comments and questions and concerns, and then and that turns into basically, you know, a few weeks of discussion. And we usually post regularly screenshots of new features under development so that people can give us feedback on what they think um, or, or you know what they like and dislike. So most of the features are actually collaborative in the sense that they're initiated by either myself or one of my team members or uh, somebody on our site. And then we actually iterate quite rapidly in terms of sketches and prototypes uh, until the final feature is done. I think Mario, who's actually on this particular chat, by the way, uh, he actually said, I really like edu tour because it's almost like it's my edu tour. You know, it's like he can he can make a suggestion and he can actually see the site incorporating his suggestion. So, Mr. J uh, wanted to see more of sort of practical information about the site. Mr. J, if it's okay with you, you can go to edu20.org and there's some good tutorials and and things there. And uh, Graham, if it if it's okay with you, I'd kind of like to shift gears a little, but I want to give you a chance to close up anything before we do so. And the direction I'd like to go is looking at your example of Sweden and thinking about kind of radical change in education and, and how having EDU2O in place might help you to begin to move that direction. Yeah, yeah, I would, that's actually perfect timing, Steve. Uh, as you mentioned, anyone is free to go to the site and, and try it out. Um, so yeah, so we'll shift gears into kind of the future looking things. So this particular slide which says modular learning, um, I think one of the things right now is that our current system make, makes it quite hard to innovate because there are so many constraints on what you can teach and how you can teach it and when you can teach it and how you get it credentialed. And it's almost like all these separate aspects are kind of glommed together. And so one of the, one of the cool things in Sweden, what they did was um, they have what some people call a voucher system. What they said was, is that the taxpayers will fund uh, a certain number of kroner per student. And we're going to allow people within certain constraints to start their own schools. And they, they can experiment with lots of different ways to, to teach and learn. And uh, so it opened up this floodgate of innovation. And my favorite school in Sweden is called Knowledge Schools. So this is not some futuristic thing I'm talking about. This is what they already have in Sweden. So here's how a knowledge school works. When you join, every student is given a, a mentor who they can communicate with to you know, figure out their, their learning pathway. And then the entire curriculum has been modularized and put online. So let's just say there might be 120 modules in physics. And it's 100% online. So day one, you can log in and you can see the entire physics curriculum. And the way that it works is you can take any module whenever you want. And whenever you're ready to be assessed on that module, you can be assessed on it. Um, and 
but they still have teachers in the school. I want to emphasize this. So the way that the school works is it's up to you, basically, how you learn something. But the teachers provide guidance and formal classroom training uh, if and when the students want it. So let's just say that I go through modules one, two, and three in physics in one week. So I'm totally moving at my own pace. I'm not left behind. I'm not bored in class. I'm doing it with, at my own pace. And then I tell my mentor, you know, I'm really getting stuck in module four. So I go into the school class, and I can basically say, I'd really like a class in physics that focuses on these things. And they'll arrange live lectures for, for students on certain topics. So then I go to that lecture, and I go, wow, that's fantastic. You know, now I understand it. And then I take modules you know, five, six, and seven. So the nice thing about the knowledge schools is they were a result of opening up the education system in Sweden. And the nice thing specifically I like them is they've decoupled uh, what you learn from how you learn it to how you're assessed on it. And as far as I know, they're doing really well. They have a lot of satisfied um, students and parents. Okay, so you've paused. And, and I'm hoping that means I can say something. <laughs> but yes, yeah, for sure. Um, and Christine asks a question here, and, I, and you'll probably address it. But uh, so I'm looking at what you're doing, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a really smart way to create a system that would allow for this kind of learning. Is is that sort of the intent of this stage? Uh, well, this is that. So this, the, the the purpose of this particular thing wasn't anything to actually do with edu two o. This is because so I, I guess I have an overarching philosophy about education, and then I try and figure out how I can contribute to it. But my highest level philosophy is I really like opening up education so that people can experiment with different approaches. And for example, the Swedish approach. Um, it, it could be done in the US, and it probably is being done by certain charter schools. But it would be pretty hard to take off in any kind of meaningful way. Whereas in Sweden, I think like over 10% of all the Swedish kids now uh, are going to schools like this. Um, so that's the highest level kind of uh, view. Um, and so like I say, the, the idea is, I guess in Sweden, is number one, to allow people to choose how they learn. Uh, you have a mentor, so it's not like you're just goofing off all day long. It allows teachers to be a lot more um, focused in terms of, you know, they guide, certain kids need guidance here, certain kids need a really boost there, some kids might need some um, uh, inspiration. Uh, but they're not just like regurgitating stuff, because so much of that stuff has been captured in high quality modular materials. So I guess if I was a teacher, I'd prefer to teach in a, in a school like Knowledge School. Uh, well, of course, I was a teacher. But if I was teaching again, I think I would actually have more fun in a school like that. Well, so it does seem to me, though, that the that EDU 2.0 is kind of a, a step toward the ability to have module learning. And just like, like um, you know, talking to Niru last night about CK12, the more that these building blocks are available, the more likely it is that someone would be in a position to actually adopt this kind of learning style. Yeah. Um, in fact, let me. I'll go to the next slide because this is how. This is the kind of the next step for EDU 2.0. Um, it's not. It's not about modular learning per se. Um, I mean, frankly, I have no idea why Bill Gates has not just opened up his checkbook and created, you know, hired the hundred best educators in the world and created a completely modular, free, multilingual set of modules. I, I really don't understand that. But when I actually looked into the cost of what it would create to create a modular system like that, my estimate was about 20 million bucks. And 
uh, I don't have $20 million of my own money <laughs> to spend on that. So, so what I'm doing next with edu 2 is implementing this thing called Learning Circles. Um, and this is due to be out in probably September. So it's actually something that's going to be um, happening quite soon. Uh, so be but before I go into what I think Learning Circles are, are there any questions about the, uh, the previous stuff? Not for me, but if you have a question for Graham, we're, we're at a place where it would be okay to raise your hand and ask that if you want to ask something specific. Uh, there, there's been a little pushback, I think, in the chat about uh, whether or not students in that Swedish system would, um, well, what the role of teachers would be and would students actually cheat? Um, and I'm not sure I'm doing justice to that question, but if, feel free to raise your hand or put that question in the chat again. Yeah, actually, I saw, I saw the one about cheating. I've thought about that. Um, so I guess there's two things. Uh, as far as cheating goes, uh, it, it's, all, it's a matter almost of philosophy. So for example, when I, when I employ people uh, in my previous companies, they might come to me with certain academic credentials. But I would tell them, before I hire you, I'm actually going to get you to do whatever it says you think you can do. So if you're a programmer, I'm actually going to give you a programming problem that you're going to solve. And so it, it really didn't make any difference what their the credentials said, because they weren't going to be able to basically BS their way into a job. And so my feeling is, if I was going to run a school of mine, I would tell the kids, this school is here for you. Okay. Uh, hopefully, if you take advantage of it, you'll have a really great time. You'll learn a lot of cool things. You will enjoy the education process, um, and then you'll go out and you know enjoy your life. And if you want to cheat, that's actually completely up to you. And you're actually hurting no one but yourself. You're literally just cheating yourself. Um, but that obviously, that having that philosophy, which I actually think, by the way, is a pretty good one. Um, that only works if employee, employers, uh, you know, make sure that people know their stuff before employing them. Otherwise, your cheating can literally get you a job. Um, and so I believe that school. I, I actually like the idea that schools provide some assessment capabilities, but then there is an independent assessment uh, organization that assesses you independent of what school you go to, to basically do some of the upfront job for your employer. So it, you know, if you go through school and you, and you think you're good at physics, there's an, there's, a, there's an exam condition assessment that you can do to show that you know physics, then you can take that certificate to your employer. Um, that would be my personal preference. Um, um, but once again, you know, some people you know, don't dig that. <laughs> um, so I hope that addresses that question. So Christine, you put your hand down, and I'm thinking that it uh, did um, answer your question. If it didn't, please raise your hand again. This sounds a lot to me like some things I've heard Tony Wagner at Harvard saying uh, about assessment. But why don't you move on and, and, um, and show, tell us about learning circles. Yeah, because we're running out of time here. So um, if you, the, the reason I've drawn those circles is there's a lot of chatting these days about informal, personalized uh, education. And certainly myself, I learn a lot of things these days from friends or online contacts or websites, et cetera. And it seems like right now we've got this weird kind of thing where you can either learn in a classroom, which is the smallest circle where there's just 20 students and a teacher, extremely structured, or you have this completely ad hoc, unstructured thing where you might have to visit 50 different sites, and there's no easy way for you to find the best people in the world about a particular thing. 
So we are going to implement this thing called learning circles, which is a kind of a, a, a scoped learning structure where you can scope it from a class to a school to a district to the entire world. And, and it's dynamic. So for example, let's just say that I want to learn math. And you could be using EDU2O or you could be using Moodle or you could be using nothing. You could be out in the Philippines you know, using nothing. And so the idea is that you can join the math learning circle. And at the worldwide scope, you would see everybody else in the whole world who wants to learn math. But it's structured in the sense that you have resource libraries, you have a lot of gaming features so you can earn karma points by helping other people, the self-assessment, there's badges that you can learn. Um, so we're taking some of the best ideas from social gaming to make this thing a bit more fun. But the cool part is, is it's completely um, uh, informal in the sense that it's not about going to school and, and getting a degree. It's literally, I want to learn algebra and I want to team up with a bunch of other people who want to learn algebra uh, and we want to learn together. And so we're going to pre-populate this with some of the world's best open resources like you probably heard about Khan Academy, which is incredibly popular. So when you join the math circle, instantly you'd have all the videos from Khan Academy plus a whole bunch more as kind of to get you started. And what we're doing is we're integrating this into the LMS. So everyone who's using our stuff, all their students and teachers can decide what circle they want to be in. But we're also going to launch a new site on edu20.net that will be a completely open version of this that you can use independent of what LMS you're using. So we didn't want to invest in this feature and only make it available to people using us as their LMS. Um, so, so to me, it's try I'm trying to take the best of personalized and formal learning, combine it with the best ideas from social gaming, and then leverage all the investment we've put into the edu20 code base to come up with this learning circle. Uh, concept. But whether or not it'll work, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, and that's one of the, the nice things about I don't have to convince some investor to invest in this or you know, beg, steal, or borrow from angel investors. I can basically launch this thing. And if it does great, good. And if it horribly fails, you know, no big deal. So if you'd like to ask Graham a question, do feel free to raise your hand using the, the icon with the hand and the green up arrow or put your question in the chat. Uh, Peggy's asking, why is there no individual in the learning circle? So, so these circles are meant to represent um, groups of people. So as an individual, you would be a member of one or more circles. So when you log on to a circle, you'll get your own personalized learning dashboard with all your favorite resources, all the certificates and badges you've learned, your, you know, your best buddies in this particular circle. So it's, it's very personalized. But, it, but you are part of a, a group of people. Uh, and you can be very social in it. You can contribute, or you can just be a lurker and benefit from everybody else, but never contribute. But I think the people who actually collaborate are going to get the most out of it. So Graham, one of the things I think I've learned from Classroom 2.0 is that um, the teachers and students often live very parallel lives. So if they're in an obedience culture, the students are asked to be obedient and the teachers are being obedient as well. And oftentimes we're asking teachers to help students be independent learners, but we're not giving the teachers the kind of independent learning environment that they need. Have you thought about the opportunities for teachers to participate in learning circles? Yeah, and in fact, the teachers play a very important role in the circles. Um, I'll give you a particular scenario, which I think is a, a pretty realistic one. So let's just say that you're teaching math in a school in a particular district, 
and and you love to teach math. And one of the reasons you're a teacher is because you love to disseminate knowledge and you know help people. Um, but you might be frustrated in that you're only teaching a certain small number of students um, in any particular semester. So what what uh, what you can do is you can join the district math circle. And so any teacher, math teacher in the district, or any students in the district can join the, the district circle. So you're, it's still somewhat bounded because we're sensitive to school you know, protocols. But then the cool part is the teachers can teach algebra however they want uh, outside of the school, but they'll still see a lot of the same students participating. Uh, and they can share their best thoughts and analogies and even try out materials that they're going to use the next semester. Uh, and they might be teaching algebra to some you know, advanced students who are getting bored in class or to some students who are falling behind. So it's, it's almost like a, an informal extension of what they're used to. But I think it could be actually a lot of fun. And so I think it will allow teachers to magnify the impact that they can have uh, on the education process outside of their traditional school environment. So we're seeing a lot of ways in which Web 2.0 is influencing the larger culture. Um, do you feel, though, that there are sort of cultural hurdles to overcome to uh, some of this participation or some of these changes? Yeah, and and you know, obviously, cultures differ. Um, and EG2O is a global company, so it, it varies quite a lot between countries. Um, I think that. The kinds of things that are going to push this thing are partly cultural, uh, partly economic. So a lot of people these days are realizing that a country can't rest on its laurels, that education is actually an important part of them being uh, competitive globally. Uh, and so there's a lot of pressure now to figure out ways to improve the way that people teach and learn, and not just in the US, but worldwide. And I think this pressure is going to cause people to start trying out new things. And I think you know, some countries will be uh, you know, early adopters and some laggards. And it will vary by state. There's a, there's a big difference in the US by state in terms of what's going on. Um, so, but yes, for sure, there are definitely cultural things. And you know, I guess my view is I don't worry about it that much. I look at it like, let's create it, put it out there. And then if people have certain concerns, we'll try and address them with, within reason. But let's just try and get some success stories, and that will promote the idea. Looks like you want to move on to adventure learning. We've got about nine minutes left. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And again, if you have a question for Graham, please go ahead and raise your hand, the hand with the green up arrow, or put your question in the chat. OK, so adventure learning, to me, this is the big one. I think every single thing that I've said so far pales in comparison with adventure learning. So I'll explain what I mean by adventure learning. Um, when people think about games in education, um, for obvious reasons, they, they think of, oh, you know, it's just a, a drill mechanism. So I learn it at school, and then I drill algebra and math, or I shoot down aliens or whatever else. However, I think it's possible to create games that are quite complicated. I mean, they're, they're games that might take three years to play. Okay, uh, It's almost like a, an immersive Star Wars thing. But that you actually learn a subject like math by playing the game. Um, and so literally, you could take a kid and give them a, an, a mobile device. 
and within, with a small amount of support, my belief is they could learn most of mathematics by playing this game. But the really key part is to make it so that when you're learning the math, you don't realize that you're learning math. That's the big twist. So I'll give you a concrete example. Um, and the reason I'm really into this is because I, I focused on creating a plot for mathematics that covered most of K through 12. Um, and I know it can be done. So, um, so next year, I hope to actually build this. Uh, and we'll make it available on you know, all, all mobile devices and platforms. So I'll give you a specific case. In the, in the, the game for math, in one particular scenario, you're on this desert island. The pirates want to award you. Uh, it's a pirate story, as you can probably tell. They want to award you some gold pieces for helping you to bury some treasure. And so the pirates say, OK, me hardies, we'll take you off to the island. And then they get out a compass, which you've already learned earlier in the game. And as you follow them, they basically count out and draw on a map the, um, the directions and how to bury the treasure. And then you see them bury the treasure. Then the pirate says to you, OK, for 10 gold pieces, why don't, why don't you try? And, uh, and you draw the map as you're going. And you know, for a kid, the idea of following a map as it's been drawn and using a compass and counting is all pretty straightforward. They'll probably make a few mistakes, so they'll forget that a child's pace is half of an adult's pace, so they have to use multiplication to do it. But then finally, they bury the treasure. And then in another plot twist, they're encouraged by the parrot, who's kind of your little companion, to go and dig it up at night, using the compass at night, steal the treasure, and make your way to the next part of the adventure. So, so far, no big deal, right? I mean, any kid could to do that. And then they're not thinking, I'm learning math. They're thinking, I'm having a great pirate game. But once they've done that, a little parrot says, hey, for another 20 gold pieces, do you want to know what you just learned? And yeah, OK, what did I learn? You just learned Cartesian coordinates. It's like, really? Yeah, and for another 20 gold pieces, I'll tell you a little bit about history. And it'll say some people, instead of using east, will write x. And some people, instead of doing north, will write y. So here's another map built using x, y, z, which tells you how to find another treasure. Go for it. And so notice that rather than, it, rather than the subject matter being front and center, what you're doing is you're playing a game, and then you're, you're formalizing after you've already learned it. Now, of course, the tough part is how do you do that for all of math, or at least, so let's just say, K through 10 or K through 11. Um, but like I say, I know it can be done, because I went through the exercise. So, um, so I'm a really big believer that in the long run, more and more things are actually going to be done through games. Uh, and I think it's, I think children will find this much more fun, but it won't be a poor substitute. They will actually learn things in a way that's more meaningful and more enjoyable, and they will remember better than traditional education. So I, I actually think that fast forward five years, and I think you will have a ton of these games, and people will be learning outside of classrooms and having a blast while they're doing it. So I guess that's, that's my longer term vision of education is moving towards this style of uh, learning. OK, so Joel, you raised your hand, and you're on the telephone line. I'm wondering if you can hear us. And we're uh, okay. not hearing you, Joel, but if you speak, yeah. we should be able to. Oh, I, I, can, I can actually uh, see his. Sure. Oh. So Joel, you may want to put your question in the chat. So Graham, this was interesting for me. I've just so drunk the Kool-Aid with you. I'm just <laughs> completely on board, loving what you're doing. And yet, for some reason, this was hard for me. 
And uh, you know, I have interviewed uh, Jim G. Uh, you know about gaming, and I've thought a lot about gaming. But I kind of put this in contrast with um, real-world activities, and I and I, and I, had, I just kind of hesitated a little because I thought, do we really want them? We want our students in these sort of adventure fantasy worlds, or would we would we be better suited by putting or better served by putting the students into actual real-life kind of situations? Yeah, I I actually think both. Frankly, uh, I'm a huge fan. And this is the way I was taught at college. You actually build things, or you—that's you know, why I put the adventure part on it. Because when you're in these virtual worlds, I think it will feel somewhat like you're—you actually have to think. Okay, it's not just like firing aliens. You actually have to solve problems and do things that you can see are useful. But for example, if I was teaching math or physics at school, I would prefer to tell my kids we're going to build go karts and we're going to have a race at the end of the semester. And there's going to be uh, a gold and a silver prize for the top two go-karts. And in order to build the go-karts, you're going to have to learn how to measure their speed, how to how to create the materials, how to um, you know how to actually build these carts. And and students love that stuff because it's actually practical, and they will remember it like a thousand times better by doing stuff than just reading about it in a book. So I actually I don't think it's either or. I think I think that both are actually incredibly useful. It looks like uh, we did get that question from um, Joel, and it's scrolled off my screen here. So hang on, I'll get to it. Um, oh no, okay. I'm, I'm sorry, that was a different question. So uh, Graham, there's a question from Pilar in the chat to you there. She yeah, says, it yeah, seems I like one of the big hurdles for game-based learning is actually the curriculum development time and effort, which seems to be more on the scale of large-scale game development than typical build-a-course amounts of effort. Yeah, so number one, she's absolutely right. Once again, the cool part is we're actually riding an incredible wave of innovation right now. So there are systems right now that allow you to build these virtual worlds, like the one you see in front of you, and actually better, with almost no money. Um, and so you can hire a, a graphics team of a few people and create a complete virtual world in you know a year or less. Um, however, I don't think that building these kind of worlds to begin with is going to be done by teachers in their classroom. They just don't have enough time or, or expertise. So what we're going to do is that we're going to release the first game, and I'm actually going to hire a team of graphic artists and um, essentially game developers um, to create the first big virtual the, the math game. Call it Math Pirate. But while we're doing that, we're going to try and figure out a way to allow that technology to be used by any teacher. Um, but we're not going to start with targeting the teachers. We're going to create, here's one world, and here, here's how it works, and hopefully try and get some enthusiasm in terms of, now let's let people create their own adventures and get the ball rolling. So we only really want to create one adventure and then make the platform available to everyone to create their own. Okay, I'm going to move us to the last slide here, just to express appreciation, Graham, to you for coming tonight um, to uh, illuminate and learn central for, for allowing me to do this series. Um, make sure that you understand that we've got some great sessions still coming up. I think we have time maybe for one more question for Graham, if one, anyone has one. Okay. So Joseph is asking, which are some of these companies that allow you to build virtual worlds? And I'm thinking that question is directed to you. Oh, yeah. So one of the ones that I'm a big fan of is called Unity 3D. 
Um, it's a fan. I mean, there's actually three or four of these companies. Uh, I'm not think Second Life to me is actually pretty bad. Uh, I don't think it's that great. There's much more advanced systems these days, and the nice thing about these systems is they work uh, in things like iPhones as well as uh, browsers, and they don't involve any downloads whatsoever. So, um, but like I say, there's like three or four just incredible platforms out there right now. Um, and uh, whereas, you know, a few years ago, there was very little. It was just not feasible. Oh, and as far as Android, yeah, of course. So they work on pretty much all the major smartphones. Graham, I'm and, clapping for you now, and I uh, really appreciate you coming <laughs> on tonight. Um, it might be kind of fun to have you come back when some of this is released and have you talk about it. Would you be open to that? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Uh, I would totally love to do that. And once again, I just want to say, I mentioned at the beginning that I thought, you know, you're a fantastic interviewer and really good questions, and that was my experience today. I just thought your questions were awesome. So I'd like to personally thank you, uh, and also all the participants. Uh, I hope you all in enjoyed the interview. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. I sure appreciate your being here. What, what a fun session, and Graham sounds like you're doing really good work. So we'll go ahead and close out. If any of you want to stay for a few minutes, we can have a little bit of post-show chat. If you were nervous to take the mic before, you can take it now, and then hopefully you'll join us for a future session. So Graham, do you remember you and I meeting in San Francisco when we held that workshop? Was that was that the one? Um, the, I'm trying to remember. It was at, like was it a hotel, wasn't it? And I'm trying to remember who else was there. Uh, but I, I think I do. That was was that the one about three years ago? It was. It was our first class, free Classroom 2.0 workshop, uh, which then turned into kind of a little a tour mini-series intended to help beginning educators learn to use Web 2.0. Yeah, we were there for some period of time one day. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. I think I might have given a short presentation. Um, but uh, yeah, that was actually one of, one of the few that I've actually been to recently. Uh, a lot of these conferences are actually quite expensive. At least I'm so miserly with my money. <laughs> um, I, think, I think next year I'm going to be doing more conferences. But, uh, but this year I've been kind of pretty, pretty low key. Well, and I do want to make an introduction for you if you don't know Niru Kosla yet from CK12. Is, do you, have you met her? No, no, I haven't. No, she was one of the presenters, was it earlier today? She came on last night, and um, she and her husband are uh, funding a, a an open source digital textbook initiative that I think might fit really well with uh, EDU 2.0. Yes, and especially with the new learning circle stuff, because uh, you know one of the goals with the learning circles is that when somebody joins one, I want there to be lots of stuff right from the get go. Because you know what it's like, it's chicken and egg. If you, if you sign in, there's like three people and no resources, and <laughs> you just go away. And uh, so, so my hope is, is that as people create more and more of these materials, I want to try and use those materials to infuse a lot of you know, basic stuff into these circles. So I'll send you an email, because I think that's going to be a, a potentially good connection for both of you. Uh, anybody have any questions for Graham? Graham, I want to let you go if you need to go. So please feel free to do so. But if anybody has any last minute questions, we'll, we'll let them uh, tease you with it in the chat. Yeah, I'll be around for a few minutes on the chat. So if anyone wants to ask questions, they can feel free. I, I meant to ask about home.
homeschoolers. Are you getting much of a response from homeschoolers? To be honest with you, I don't know because I don't monitor the um, the statistics of the sites that much. I mean, my guess is there's probably some, but not very many is my guess. Jeff, I've given you my capability to turn your mic on. You click on the larger mic button in the lower left of your screen. Looks like Jeff lowered his hand. He's asking if an email will be sent out for the EDU 2.0 Academy. Yeah, the, the EDU 2.0 Academy is a site that's built on EDU 2.0. So it's basically a school hosted on it on the EDU 2.0. But it's a school that's going to be have a bunch of free self-based classes that basically shows people how to use EDU 2.0. Uh, so one of the things for me is it has so many really nice features right now. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't taking advantage of them. And so almost for my own personal satisfaction, as much as helping other people, I would like people to experience the power of what I've built. And so I figure what I'll do is that I'll create a bunch of self-paced materials, you know, basic, intermediate, and advanced that will use all the latest features of our own site to teach people how to use our site. So not only will it help you to use the site, but it'll also give you a Oops, sorry about that. I think I pressed mute by mistake. Can you, you should be able to hear me now. You're coming through oh, now. Oh, and then somebody had, had a question about adventure-based learning within EDU2O. Now, the adventure-based learning thing is, is a project that I've got planned for next year. And it's going to be a separate effort from EDU2O. Um, you know, one of the things that I try and do, and this is really based on my background as an entrepreneur, is generally speaking, you want to try and keep initiatives um, independent. So EDU 2.0 for business, which is the commercial version, is a completely separate company from EDU 2.0 for school, which is a completely separate company from the company that actually owns the, the software and, and technology. So, um, so everything is kind of legally separate. And so the, the adventure learning stuff is going to be done by another company that I will incorporate. But we will make it available through EDU 2.0 for school, if that makes sense. Graham, I meant to ask you also as well about, um, you know, you talked about adding in social networking features. Um, am I right in thinking there was a community tab in the program? No, and in fact, the, um, the community tab's actually gone away now. Uh, so it, it used to be there, but it's, it's no longer. We basically deprecated it because we didn't need it anymore. So the social networking stuff in EU2.0, Right now, you already have the idea of friends and groups and chat rooms and forums and all, all the usual stuff. I mean, that stuff's been around for like 10 years. Um, the stuff that we're adding next week is the, is the Facebook-like feeds, which is, which is basically, you know, you log in and you get a feed now of all what your friends are up to, what your classes are up to, what your teachers are up to, um, what's going on in your groups. So the feed itself is really just encouraging. It's making it a lot easier to see what's going on and for you to be able to communicate and participate in, in discussions. So if a teacher wanted to try and find another teacher teaching the same topic, are they able to do so? Uh, let's see. Yes. Yeah. Right now, what you can, what you'll do, and we'll probably improve this. Um, you click on your friend on the friends button. 
in your homepage and you click on search and then you can actually put in search criteria like their name and what they're teaching and what language they teach in. Um, it's going to get a lot better. We're going to put a lot more effort into our, we have a homepage for every US state right now. So you can go to the Vermont page and see all the schools in Vermont. Or you can go to the US page and see all the schools in the US. But we're going to add social networking features around states and countries. So we're going to try and find moderators to find some, you know, a few Vermont enthusiasts who will moderate the Vermont page. And then there'll be a Vermont news feed as well as a US news feed and a global news feed. So we're going to take the stuff that we're releasing next week and we're going to apply it at a whole bunch of different scales. So for what it's worth, um, I'll be interested in seeing if that geographical structure works for you. Because my experience has been that it's much less about the geography than it is about the curricular topic. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. And that's why one of the things we have is the world scope. Uh, if I was going to learn, uh, well, and we'll probably have a way to do it by language as well. You know, if I was a student and I just want to learn math, um, I would typically join the world group. And the thing is, they're all concentric. Okay, So if you form a class group, it's automatically inside of the school and the district and the world. So it's not like you have to join three or four different circles. There's really, under, under the hood, there's really one math community. And when you go into math, you'll be able to say algebra, and that will narrow it down to just the people in the, in the math circle for algebra. Um, so I, I basically completely agree with what you're saying. Um, and we want to make it really easy for someone to say, I don't care about region. I just want to learn algebra, for example. So Pilar is pointing out that we missed a question from Mario. Are there plans for adding audio recording to the freemium accounts? Yeah, not to the free accounts, but the freemium. So we, we've already announced that, um, that we're going to be having audio recording in, in the one that's like, I think it's like five, five bucks a month kind of thing. And that allows you to record audio straight from your browser and embed it into messages and classrooms, et cetera. Um, and the reason that we haven't put that in the free one basically is that the bandwidth and the storage, we just can't afford to do that. You know, we want to make the, the site sustainable. But then we're going to be also adding video recording and interactive video sessions and all that stuff. That's going to be in our gold plan. And I think the gold plan for 1,000 students is a whopping you know, $30 a month or something. So it's, it's still really cheap. But we have to make sure that however we price things are their minimum covering our server and bandwidth costs. Yeah, I was surprised at the low prices and wondered um, if you were, do you talk about how many people you have on staff or what kind of resources are being required to do the development? Yeah, right now we have uh, 10 people uh, as part of our team. Uh, it's a virtual company in the sense that they're all over the world. Uh, and I'm a huge believer in that. I'm actually having, this is the first time I've done a virtual company. So our system administrator who manages the whole site is in one area. We obviously use Amazon, so we effectively get their staff working on the infrastructure. We have translators, legal, developers. Graf the graphics team is in South Africa. Um, but it actually works out uh, extremely well. Um, and like I say, the only reason that we can do this for the price that we do is really because we're leveraging the Amazon infrastructure. Um, you know, We are benefiting from having the virtual team. But, but if you look at a lot of companies, a lot of their price is basically spent on their servers and everything else. 
And so that's the primary reason why we can lower our prices as we've done. Oh, so what oh. uh, tool set do you use for collaboration? Do you use a, a meeting program like Illuminate for sort of live discussions? Uh, so, so right now, just you know, we don't have live audio and video that's coming in September. That's going to be built on top of the Red Five Flash Media Server, um, and then we're adding our own proprietary software, mostly written in JavaScript, running in the browser on top. But, but here's a little statistic that will blow your mind. Uh, so Moodle, which is built in PHP, uh, according to their own statistics, is about one and a half million lines of code right now. And the whole of EDU 2.0, which includes e-commerce, all the chats, the discussions, the Facebook social networking, everything, okay? We, we use very few third-party libraries. Everything is 40,000 lines of code. And like I say, Moodle is one, is one and a half million. Um, and that's another reason why we can move fast and we can keep our price down, is that we've built it all on Ruby on Rails, uh, and we've been very, very careful about our architecture. And if you're in software, you'll know that by far the biggest impact on your ability to have you know, a really nice, fast-moving, reliable platform is the core architecture. So it's not my job to be promoting of Illuminate in this environment, but I'm wondering if Illuminate has this free three-person view room that you can, um, where there are APIs for accessing it. I wonder if that might not be something that would be helpful to you. Yeah, I'll definitely take a look at that. Um, I think you know my philosophy in general, uh, it's quite like Apple-esque or Steve Jobsian. So I want the the simplest, most seamless possible um, user experience. So, so anytime we're looking at any kind of third-party integration, whether it's Illuminate or uh, Udemy is another one, or any of these ones, it's all about what will provide the best user experience. Um, so that's really that's really my primary criteria. But I will definitely check out the Illuminate offering there. Well, uh, again, I'm, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Just wondered if you knew about that. Yeah, no, I'm glad you let me know. I knew there was something, but I, uh, but I didn't know about that particular option. So I will, I'll definitely look into it. Yeah, and I think it might be interesting for you and me at some point to talk about the teacher community piece because uh, that's definitely sort of where Classroom 2.0 came from and where Learn Central is going. And it feels like you know there are several of us who might benefit from kind of working together in this regard. Yeah, I would actually love to do that. I mean, frankly. Uh, I wish I was more participatory in the in the community. The last year has been super busy, heads down. Um, but I would thoroughly enjoy that. Um, and it's always so energizing when you're around other people who are really into uh, the innovation and pushing education forward. It's like it just keeps you energized. Yeah, and I, um, at some point I want to. Um, kind of show you the idea we had for a Students 2.0 network, which I think sounds a lot like your, your academy. But the idea was to create a place for students who could learn outside of their traditional structures. And, and I don't think we're actually succeeding in the Ning network we developed, so it might make sense to, to look at some way of transitioning that. Yeah, I, I think it's, it sounds a lot like the learning circles. Uh, EDU 2.0 Academy is literally 
just a school for learning how to use the EDU 2.0 site. The, 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 the core goal of the learning circles is to provide a, um, a you know, informal personalized learning environment. Uh, but, but which is sort of backwards compatible with LMSs to provide a, an integration with them. But you know, that's that one of the reasons I want to launch edu2o.net is I don't want people to say, oh, I'd really love to use this, but I'm using Moodle or I'm using Desire to Learn or Blackboard. So I want, I want something that's external to LA, any LMS so that people can use this stuff on the go, mobile device at home without Worrying about whether it integrates with their, you know, their school or university system. Terrific. Okay, so why don't we wrap up? Uh, thanks so much, Graham. Great to hear from you. Yeah, likewise, man. It was it was a total pleasure. Uh, and this stuff is recorded, right? So uh, I'll post a link to my blog uh, probably tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be up tonight, and the recording links will be up, and I'll make sure I send you a quick email. Hey, thanks, Graham. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Sure was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. Take care, man. OK, everyone, I'm going to turn the recording off, and we'll close down. Um, in order for the recording to process, you do have to leave the room. So thanks for coming. And if you're not out of the room in a couple of minutes, you'll notice I knock you out, and that's just to get the recording going. OK, have a great night. <laughs>